0: Well, good morning, everyone. I know it's a little different this morning with the race going on. It's uh, a challenge to even get to the building this morning. At least it was for me. Uh, things are wrapping up, so people will be will be coming in, um, streaming in here in, in just a few minutes. You know, Pastor Eli, when you were talking yesterday about um, the, re- the um, respect section and interrupting, it reminded me of something that we did with our children when they were little. Our kids had to... The the habit of when we were engaged in conversation as a pastoral couple, that was all the time, right? And they would run up, and they would just start talking and interrupt the conversation. And so we read somewhere. I don't remember where it was, but it was an interrupting rule, and we implemented it. It was fantastic. So the way that it would work is if mom or dad are involved in a, a conversation, and the kids needed to say something, and it was important, we would have them come over to us, and they would just place their hand on us. And not say anything, just place their hand on us. And so to to let them know that we recognize that they're there and that they have something to say, we put our hand on top of their hand. Not say anything. We're still talking to the other adult. But we put our hand on their hand to say, I know that you're there and I know you have something to say. And when there is a pause, when I can, I'll, I'll answer you. And so when that conversation got to the point where there was a break, then we would say, excuse me, just a second. And then we would um, interact with our child and and engage them. But it worked really, really well. So anyway, you know, as you hear people talk, you you remember remember things. Uh, When we planned camp meeting, we planned camp meeting speakers, presenters three to four years out. So it was three or four years ago that we... Uh, reached out to Pastor Eli and Lloyd and asked them to to come. And it's a a process before we ever extend an invitation. We spend a lot of time in prayer thinking about who we'd like to invite. We look at the the theme for that camp meeting. because we already know three, four years out what the theme is going to be. And we try to match people um, based on their giftedness, based on our theme, based on the Holy Spirit's leading. And I think everybody can agree that the Holy Spirit uh, really was at work um, in lining all of this up. We appreciate your messages this week. They've been spot on. They've been very practical. Um, So obviously it's been God's leading and bringing the Rojas family uh, here this week. So that's my mushy stuff, heartfelt mushy stuff. All right. Well, let's pray together, and uh, I don't want to take any more of their, their time. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, Pastor Eli and Loida Rojas. I thank you, Father, for the blessing um, that they continue to be to the Carolinas. And, Father, I pray this morning as they, they share that you would continue to speak through them and and use them in a powerful way. And I pray, Father, too, that our hearts would be receptive to what it is that you want us to walk away with um, this morning. And I also pray that as camp meeting ends and we go back uh, to our homes and the regular routine that you would bless our efforts in applying the things that we've learned this week. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. And thank you for the families that you've blessed us with father in Jesus name.
1: Amen. Thank you so much, pastor. I really appreciate the introduction. It humbles me. I, um, I actually, uh, one of the challenges that I had to overcome was going back to my home turf, you know, to my family and, Got to see all these faces, and you know it's interesting. But that sometimes gets you more nervous than when you have a bunch of strangers you've never seen, right? And so it's been wonderful to see all these uh, folks that we know, that we talked, that we work with in the past. And uh, it has been exciting to be here for the two of us. And so um, I wanted to say thank you for for the pa- to the pastor and to the conference for extending this invitation. Uh, for us, it's been actually. Uh, An honor and really a great joy to be here.
2: A glimpse of heaven. Oh, when we get to see all the ones that, all the people that we have met. And and, oh, man, I'm looking forward to that reunion. I think I dream about it every day. (laughs) Um, Well, we have the moments of prayer that we're going to do before we start. And uh, we found this passage that I think I read before, but I thought it was so wonderful. It's um, found in testimonies to the church. And he says, take time to pray. And as you pray, believe that God hears you. Have faith mixed with your prayers. You may not at all times feel the immediate answer, but then it is that faith is tried. So don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Pray, pray, pray. (laughs) And
1: today just came to mind. When, when Eli, our son, was in Ukraine uh, working as a missionary, one day he called me, and he was very frustrated. He started telling me, Dad, this is going on. This is all the thing. And all the things that he was struggling with. And as I'm listening to him, I said, you know, when he pa- took a pause and was, was very frustrated by what he was going through, I said, Eli, let me ask you a question. Did you ask, by any chance, did you ask God to help you be more patient? <laughs> He's like, Dad, how do you know? I go, all these things that are happening to you are about patience. So God is answering your prayer, I said to him. (laughs) (laughs) That's true.
2: Okay. So today we want to also focus. There are a lot of families here that are not just a regular mom and dad. There are a lot of single parents. There are a lot of blended parents there are a lot of grandparents and those that are mentoring to others so we want to pray for those families as well so when we have time would we'll take a few minutes and mention those kind of families so the holy spirit would work in in special way in those circumstances
1: all right. so let's take a couple of minutes to pray pray with home with by your side or by yourself if you feel comfortable and let's let's pray for these families as Lord has mentioned all right let's pray together Amen. So yesterday I kind of rushed a little bit at the end because I wanted to finish one concept before moving to the next one. As you saw on the screen, the next one is going to be about, about family ministry. I'm sorry, about family uh, worship, about family worship. Um, but wanted to highlight uh, a little bit of something that I might have gone by too quickly. And that's the understanding of discipline. Uh, I think we struggled through the years with that. And of course, there were days when uh, discipline was physical and that was okay with everyone. In fact, you know, even at school you will get it <laughs> if you misbehave. Did you ever get a spank at, at school? You know, a, a few of you did. Surprised to see your hand go up. So you, I, I thought you were a really good girl. <laughs> that time was unfair <laughs> and so you know it's interesting how we um um changed through the years right because then it became of course uh wrong and and i i don't think it, it was ever right because what we do is we we how do i how do i say this we we don't really understand what we're trying to do. And so we go to different measures to do this or that, not understanding what we want to do is help the person grow. Correct? That's the idea. You want you want your child. You want, you know, by the way, it happens in older relationships, in adult relationships. There are times when we apply discipline uh, to our spouse and, and, and you're saying, Pastor, what do you mean? You know, well, in our faulty ways, we may stop talking to someone. We may... You know, yell at them, we uh, may th- use different forms to deal with issues instead of using discipline. Why why am I emphasizing that? You know, if you think about it, the root word is disciples. So when you're thinking about discipline, it's about the idea of helping someone grow through whatever they're going through. So it it, it is it is awesome when you think about each other, husband and wife or leaders of the house as disciple-making people, right? Because that's the idea. Do you want to say something? Thank you. I'm glad you asked that. I, I appreciate it. And, 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 and so I hadn't thought about it, so let me think about it for a second. But you have to, uh, I guess, go back to the, uh, um, to the uh, meaning of the word. Punishment is about inflicting pain on someone that has something wrong. And, and is that the best way to help someone grow through a process? Uh, there is yes and no, because people need to understand that there are consequences to actions, right? So punishment is the idea that someone is suffering for something they have done. But then the, the question is, what is punishment and what is appropriate punishment? That's why I'm, I'm thinking that it's better to say and use the word discipline because when you think of discipline as a result of discipling process, what you're doing is not only punishing someone for their actions, but you're also helping someone grow through the process. When you punish, you inflict a, a pain or suffering or, or some type of, um, of suffering on the person that has done something wrong. And there are places for that. Uh, but then when you more intentionally, instead of punishing, you help the person grow to this, then it has better results. Is that, does that help you? Because I think there is, there is this idea that punishment has to be hurtful and punish and, and sometimes physical, physical. There you go. There you go. Excellent. Thank you so much. The other thing that I, I I talked about later with other folks was the idea that the consequences of actions, especially when you're talking with children, need to be immediate so they know what what is going on and they know that what's happening is a result of their actions. It goes back to this idea that if you keep telling your child, hey, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to punish you. Or I'm going to spank whatever you say that you're going to do and you keep on saying it you keep on saying it Uh, let's say the incident happened in the morning and you say well do you know tonight when i get home i'm going to deal with that i'm going to whatever you're going to do well depending on the age of the child it's very likely that by the time you come to impose that punishment or discipline whichever word you want to use they had either forgotten about it or it has lost meaning completely and then it becomes a mere punishment just, I'm just going to inflict pain on you because you did something wrong and there's no connection. The faster you are in acting on a problem, the faster or the easier the solution to the problem will be. So if your child is misbehaving um, and you, you think, well, you know what, uh, tomorrow we're going to talk about this. By the time you talk about it, the actions are lost. This The sooner you do it, do it, the sooner they understand the difference between... Um, uh, the, the, res, the results from the actions, and it's easier for them to uh, mend their ways. It's like when you're training a, a little puppy, and instead of doing, you know, training the puppy to go outside, if you wait later to do it, the puppy has no idea why you're training that puppy, you know, to go outside. Yes. Exactly, yes. And it's important that you don't do it. Thank you. If you find yourself uh, too upset, it's better to wait. Yes, thank you so much. I appreciate that, because you may do something that you did not intend to do. So I wanted to wrap up, because those are a couple of ideas that I wanted to present before we move forward. So today we will start. So remember that we're talking about key principles when it comes to parenting. And we have gone through five. We've about ten more to go through. And so we're starting this morning with family worship. Family worship is very important when it comes to transferring of our faith to our children, but it has to be done right in order to do that. I love this passage because it reminds us one of the main reasons for us to have family worship in James chapter four verses seven and eight it says, "Therefore submit to God, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near." to you. Isn't that awesome? What a beautiful promise, and especially when you think of the context of family, of the household where you're living, whether you are a single parent, you know, struggling to make it with your children and leading them, or you're a grandparent that you're taking care of of your children's children for whatever circumstances, or a empty nester, or someone that for whatever circumstances you have come to a point where you're by yourself in, in life, It is the best thing that we can do is to surrender our home and ask God to be the main resident there. So we will submit to God. We resist the devil. He flees from us. And as we draw near to God, then he draws closer to us. One of the main reasons to do that is precisely the idea that we're bringing God into our family. The one who invented this was not Moses, but it was God, Right. God was the one that talked to Moses and said, hey, tell the children of Israel, this is what I want them to do. And it is a shame that they so often forgot to do this. We talked about it uh, previously, how with uh, Joshua, it was one or two generations later and the people of Israel had forgotten all about God. It's because this transferring of faith had not, taking, had not taken place from the older generation to the next generation and the, and the following generation and so forth. So in Deuteronomy chapter six, the Lord tells Israel and it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, I love the next section because it is a reminder that for God. Love is more important than the rules. Because love will lead you to understand and live those rules that he has for us in a better way. Does that make sense? And and it's right here. He doesn't go right into, you need to do this and that. He goes into the first and the most important part where he says, you shall love the Lord your God. And then he says, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. God wants us to be fully invested into loving him before anything else happens. Because love changes everything. I'm reminded of the woman who was married to a very, very difficult husband, a very demanding husband. And this guy was, was so demanding that he, she had to get up around 4 in the morning, prepare breakfast for him, and at 5 o'clock she will have to have it served, warm, ready for him to sit down and eat it. And she will need to stand by her side in case he needed something, like a spoon or a fork or salt or whatever she might have forgotten to put there on the table. And so he'll be eating, and I'll just say, where's the salt? Where's the salt? And she had to run and get it and bring it back to him just in case. She will have to stand by his side, not only sit by his side and eat with him. It was like a servant. And that was the rest of the day was a structure for her. She had to do this at this time and that and just a bunch of rules and things she had to be doing for this man. Well, years go by, God gets sick and dies. Well, as you can imagine, it took her a while to get married again. But she met another man, fell in love with this guy, and he moved in, they married, and then he moved to that house and continued to live in the same place where, they have, where she had lived for many years. One day, uh, she is cleaning the attic. By the way, this guy was very loving, caring, totally different from the other man. Never had a rule for her. Never told her what to do. He will get up and get things if he needed something. You know, it was very different. So he was, she was enjoying that relationship so much more. And so one day she's cleaning in the attic and dusting things and finds the list. There was a list that the previous husband had for her. And it was a very, I mean, you know, eight o'clock this, this, and this. I mean, it was very, very strict and regimented. Well, she starts going through this, and her first reaction is she starts crying. I mean, she brings back all these awful memories of her previous experience. But as she's going through the list, she realizes that with this man, she's doing most of these things already. You see that? She was already doing these things for him. And, and it wasn't just because of habit. She had come to love this guy so much that she was doing all these things And she had not noticed that she was doing all these things. The moral of the story is love changes everything. And when you love someone, you will do things for that person that you would have not ever thought about doing for someone else because of the love that you have for that individual. And so that's why God realizes, you know, this is so important. I'm going to put it number one. So He says, the first thing you need to remember is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And then He goes on to give instructions. He says, these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in the house, in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you arise up, when you uh, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorpost of your house and put them on your gates. Excellent, right? The idea is not only that you communicate a set of rules. Notice that the first thing he focused was on the love of the relationship but also to have daily conversations to make this the main thing of the day. So the family will be focusing on the things that were important for them. So so the Jewish people, unfortunately, went too literal with this. And you might have seen, if you ever go to Israel or see footage of uh, people, especially around the Wailing Wall, and, and certain uh, uh, sacred sites in Israel. You may see people that even have little boxes tied up here in the front of the earth. Have you seen that? They have, they have those little boxes, and that's what this is talking about. Tie them to your forehead. And they thought, well, that's, that's what we got to do. Imagine us riding with all these things, I mean, living with all these things tied here. They will put ribbons around their, their, their hands. Uh, God never meant it for this to be literal in that sense. Because what he wanted for these things to to be was to go from the outside into our hearts. And that was the difference. And that's what Israel uh, messed up. And that's what very often Christians have made the mistake of doing. And that is transferring to their next generation a set of rules and regulations of thou shalt do this or not do that. Instead of transferring that relationship with Jesus, that is the most important thing that we need to be transferring. And so as we do this, we know that that is, that is so important, we need to put it to practice in our lives. I'm sorry that this is so low. I see some of you picking up, but this is basically, this is called the Shema. Uh, Don McLefferty talked about it the other day. And is this reciting of this is what started family worship with the people of Israel. And it's the tradition that, that is so strong in those that are that are very that are Jewish and practice their religion that it is said that the shema is the last words that a Jewish person will say before dying it is so ingrained in them that that's part of their lives and so they repeat it every day they 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 are constantly bringing this up because it's what god told them to do now what was the purpose of this we need to focus on the intentionality number 1 it was to teach their children about God but remember this my friends is not just to teach him about an uh, about a stranger that they have never met right because it will lose meaning but introduce them to your friend and your God and your savior who you talk to every day and you relate to every day did you get that so what i'm trying to say is that is it is as important for your children that you have a close walk with Jesus, because then you will be able to lead them. Remember the word disciple, discipline, as you're leading your children and your family members, that you are teaching them what you know about God. It's about learning to love the one that you love so much. And that way is what makes a difference, is to help them understand worship. And I think that's another thing that has been lost in, in so many of our churches today because we have been focusing in the exteriors of worship instead of, of the heart of worship. My friends, worship is, and put it in a very simple language, is the act of connecting with God. Is that okay? I know there are other more, more precise uh, uh, definitions, but I have been, and, and I'm sharing this because I believe that it's not a matter too much uh, unless you're going to extremes on both directions of the style of worship, but of the connecting with God. I have been in contemporary settings that were very spirit filled and you felt God's presence. And I have been in more traditional uh, conservative churches where all they sung was hymns. And yet, as you enter in that place, it was like God was there and you felt his presence. My, my friends, don't focus too much on, on what is being done. Again, unless they're going into extremes, but on what is happening. Is God being worshipped? Are you connecting with them through that worship service? And that needs to happen also where? In the home, where you're making or attempting to make this connection with God. Uh, Bring the family together and create bonds with the family and ask for protection over your family and your children. That was the purpose of this worship. And then leave that spiritual legacy for the next family, and that was what was so important. Fathers and mothers, however, present your business. Do not fail to gather your family around God's altar, and that altar is where in your house, right? And that's the idea behind it. As for the guardianship of the holy angels in your home, remember that your dear ones are exposed to temptations. So as they are going to go out, there is a peculiar. There's a group. Um, I, I mean. You you know these individuals because they're all over. They're the uh, Puerto Ricans, uh, people from Puerto Rico. And anyone from Puerto Rico here? All right. Oh, good, good. All right. So you know what I'm going to say. Uh, they have a tradition that I love it. I love it. Before they go out or when they come in, they turn to the to the other family members, and especially if mom and dad are there or grandpa, grandma are there, and they say, bless me. And then they walk out. Right? Don't they say that? Uh, There's a. Uh, bless me. And, and they do it coming in and coming out. That's what should be happening every day in the morning before everybody goes out, or in the evening when everybody comes up comes back, because that's the idea is that that home is, is a place where people are blessed. Fathers, mothers, you need to seek God morning and evening at the family altar, that you may learn how to teach your children wisely, tenderly and lovingly. And notice the emphasis wisely tenderly, lovingly. That is so important. It is the main immediate ingredient in this thing. In this paragraph from education, the second uh, sentence says, the hours of morning and evening worship should be the sweetest and most helpful of the day. And that's one of the things that we worked so hard with our kids was that it will be that, that it will be sweet, that it will be helpful. So the reason I want to emphasize this is because when it comes to family worship, we don't have a, I, mean, I don't think we should have a how-to with 10 steps for everybody to follow. Because it has to be very personal. So what we did, maybe a good idea to inspire you about something, but don't go home and say, okay, the Rojas has did one, two, three, four, five. I'm going to do one, two, three, four, five. 2, uh, The idea is that you, you think of ways and you talk with your family about how you can do this in a more significant way. Now, if your kids are very little, you know, if, you, if they're just starting in life and, and, and they're too little to contribute, then you, you come out with something. But remember that it needs to be sweet and it needs to be helpful. It needs to have an impact in their lives. And one thing, and I'll mention again in a, in a second, but it doesn't need to be long. It actually needs to be short. Let the services be brief and full of life, adapted to the occasion and vary it from time to time. Don't do the same thing every single time. We had little uh, instruments that the kids will play. They were totally out of tune, but we were having fun praising God. As they got older, we changed that. As as they got uh, even older, we started to uh, make them responsible for the worship time. So we actually took times around the uh, times around the house where one day, and we had on a schedule. One day it was Eileen, the other one was the Zila, then Loida, then me, and we just kept going around, and they could do whatever they wanted because it was their day to do worship. I just. We had a time our
0: kids did not want to have worship in the other kids' room or downstairs. And their rooms were opposite each other. And then we went downstairs. So, what we did is uh, Diana sat in her doorway, Paul sat in his doorway, and we sat in the hallway and had to worship. Oh, wow. So, it satisfied both of them. And that was that was a
1: short stage in their lives. Amen. Thank you. Great idea. But once again, as they get older, it's important to include them not only in participation but also in the planning of how you're going to be doing worship with them. And and remember that first sentence or that first statement right there. Let the services be what? Brief. You know, don't make it uh, 45 minutes with with a collection and an appeal at the end. Right. <laughs> Uh, no, don't. They don't need to be formal. You know, they don't need to be stifled. It says full of life. So pick the songs they love. Play it. You know, something from YouTube, or if the kids know an instrument, have them play the instrument, even if it is out of tune. But the idea is that they have fun doing it, that they enjoy it, so they can have that and have special things and special traditions that have to do with that. Our, our, our. Um, um, Sabbath Welcome service which was on Fridays the Vespers uh, but we called it Sabbath Welcome uh, program. Uh, we did it of course around sun- sunset on Friday afternoon and it was very very special. It was a service that um, where they participated. We always had a special treat for that evening and and then we go through certain traditions that we we picked together. Uh, like lighting a candle, and having uh, something special to eat. I can't remember if it was the same thing every time or it was different. They, oh, it was seasonal. Okay. And so, so one, one day, uh, this is many years later, our, te- our daughter is working already as a teacher, and she was doing something with the kids, uh, her classroom. And I said to her, wow, this is really nice. I said, why are you doing that? I don't remember exactly what it was that she was doing. I wish I'd remember, but but whatever it was, I said, why are you doing that? And she said, that. our our worships at home were so meaningful to me. It really built my life that I want these kids to experience the same thing, even if it is in the classroom here. And boy, that touched me so much because she mentioned things that I I even have forgotten. (laughs) You know, like, wow, I forgot we did that. But it was so meaningful that now she wanted to pass that on to this generation of children that were her kids while they were in her classroom, and she wanted them to have that experience. That's the kind of experience you want to have with your kids. And I'm going to tell you something. If you haven't done it, it's not going to be easy. Okay? Did you hear me? It's not going to be easy. Why? Because the number one thing is the enemy doesn't want you to do that. But keep trying. Keep working at it keep you know tweaking it so it's easier so it's better so it's more enjoyable but don't give up because it is so important for the family it's where you bl- is 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 the time that you bring that special blessing and presence of god into your family yes let, let me hold on let me give you the mic <clears throat> start again.
0: Sister White says in the Signs of the Times articles, if we don't approach the day with prayer and and devotional time with Christ, tell Satan and his angels that today is their day, and they throw a party in your honor.
1: Oh, I get chills just hearing that. But it is so true. It is absolutely true. That's why yesterday when we were talking about the training of the children, the spiritual training of the children, and some parents say, well, I'm going to let my child decide when they get older. You're just saying, Satan, just keep charge of that. You know, I'm not going to do it. That's what exactly what happens. And, and there is something else about bringing this to your home. I just thought about this because it's so important. It came to mind. I don't want to forget it. It's, this. it's the idea of blessing your home. Of, of dedicating your home to God. My friends, if you haven't done this, please make time and do it. You don't have to call the pastor and say, Pastor, come, bless my home. You can do it. And all it takes is for you to take a tiny little bit of olive oil, uh, pure olive oil, and, and go around your house dedicating that home. So you come to the main entrance, and you just put, because this is symbolic, all right? You're going to put just a drop of oil of oil uh, on both sides here of the door. And you say, Lord, we're dedicating this home to you. If your kids are, are young and they understand what's going on, have them pray for it too. Remember to give your kids important prayers, right? And let them say whatever they want. Just say, hey, pray for this. And then they'll say it. And you pray and you say, Lord, from this day forward, anyone who comes through these doors, that it, they will feel your presence in this house. I have seen houses that were a mess being transformed because they make that dedication. Because what you're doing is you're kicking Satan out. Isn't that awesome? You're kicking Satan out. And that's why it's so important that you do this, that you dedicate your homes to the Lord.
2: When we were going through the process of dedicating my home, one thing that um, an, an older person in my church had shared that ended up being so impactful for our family is Taking inventory of the things that are in our home and especially for me, what was pertinent was, you know, the things that were in my children's room, because what he said was, you know, the enemy wants to have an altar in your home. It doesn't have to be the whole home. It doesn't have to be your room and your TV and all this stuff. But if your children might have items that the enemy is getting a foothold, then he can have an altar of his own within your home.
1: Wow. Do you remember the example I gave you about a family that was fighting over the grass? Yeah, some of you. I mean, the ones I heard it. So I started to work with this family because of the disagreements they were having. And so and they were fighting a lot within the family, kids, parents and you know, everybody was fighting. And so so I said to them, you know, I, I have the feeling that we need to dedicate this home. Oh, 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 wait, I forgot something very important. So when they will retire to their bedrooms at night to sleep, they started to hear steps out on their house uh, on their house, you know. And so they'll come out and nobody's there. At first they thought it was someone else, you know, from the same house, you know, and so they but then everybody started hearing it, everybody started to worry about it, and it started to get bolder, you know, like bum, 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 bum. They come out of the bedrooms, no one there. They got. They were scared, so they were fighting, and they were having this scary thing happening. And so I said, "Guys, there's something here. So let's let's talk about it. Let's pray about it." So we we were doing a blessing of the home, and so when when we're gonna do the blessing of the home, part of it that that I do, and I thank you for saying that because I I've forgotten that, is I tell the family let's do a cleansing of the house. All right. So, uh, the the daughter who was a preteen, you know, a very smart young lady. She comes and says, oh, I know. I know what Satan might be here. That little girl brought all her Disney movies out. (laughs) Disney movies. (laughs) And if you have seen, most of Disney movies have some kind of witchcraft thing going on. One way or another, there's a spirit of this or whatever. Anyway, she brought them out. and and Okay, so we're going to take a And Dad is sitting there. He's looking and thinking. He says, you know, I I think I have something that could be the reason. And everybody turns to him because everybody's trying to figure out what he's talking about. He says, well, you know, years back, I I was very curious about things. And I had a friend who was a Satanist. And I asked him for a Bible. He gave me the Bible. And I have it there in my bedroom. And I said, my friend, <laughs> how can you do that? I mean, that's inviting. That's inviting. It's this welcome mad and thrown there for, for the enemy. So he brought it out. And, and then they, later, the next day, they burnt everything outside of the house. And so, my friends, yes, get everything out. Thank you for saying that. Get everything out that is not of God, so then God can truly be the master of the house and not the enemy. Um, so anyway, um, when the service is not thus made too lengthy, then uh, let the little ones take part in prayer. Let them join in song. And if, if it be but a single verse, is, is that emphasis on let's make it short and sweet, enjoyable, right? Um, so they, they can truly enjoy it. So keep in mind, simplicity, short and sweet, age appropriate, creative, and shared responsibilities. Some folks have asked me, well, I got teens and I got little ones, and so that's a mess. Well, get the teens responsible for it, or, 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 or maybe have two different sessions if that's what you have to do. But, but like, I've, like I'm saying, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. Don't give up, because it truly is a big blessing when you're able to do this with your family. I love those comments because uh, they're so useful, so thank you for making these comments. Yes. Oh, okay. We're not taking questions.
2: Do you have any um, suggestions for how to get a husband interested?
1: (laughs) Whoa, getting a husband interested. Um, Well, you know, one thing that I have emphasized in in this week has been communication. And so I will say uh, to anyone that is having that struggle, uh, because it can be the husband, it can be the wife, or it can be some other adult in the house. Maybe you have a, a grandparent that is living with you, you know, your mom, your dad, and, and they're being cold about it. So anyone that is not being a participant of it is to have a conversation to help them understand, to help you understand why they're not participating and help them understand why this is so important. And, um, but if it is your spouse, uh, you need to pray a lot for, for him, for her, so they understand how important this is. Uh, So having conversations, praying for them, as you might have remember, I mentioned the fact that you're not going to convince anyone, convict anyone is the Holy Spirit. So you pray for the Holy Spirit to work in this person's heart so they can truly um, uh, understand it and start to be part of it. And so that will be probably the best I can give you at this point, because. Yes, don't give up. Don't give up. I mentioned it yesterday. I prayed 20 years for my dad. um, And eventually, you know, after 20 years of prayer, he gave his heart to Jesus. You know, you never stop praying for someone because you never know the moment when they will be uh, receptive to hearing God's word. And so you need to be interceding, interceding, because it it does make a difference. They're putting up a front, but God is mighty and he may come true. Now, God doesn't force anyone. And that's important. And so what happens? So thank you for bringing that up. Because what happens if he says, you know, honey, I'll never do that. So just stop bugging me. Um, Or a wife that says that or or a grandparent that is in your house. Anyone that is refusing to understand this. And that is that you say, okay, so that means that I'm going to continue to do this on my own. It will be a struggle because... He or she or whoever is the one that is resisting will have an influence. You know that we exert influence whether we want it or not, whether we're participating or not. So this this refusal to participate may be a negative influence on the children. But you keep doing it, you keep working at it, and and as the kids get older, you try to help them understand that this is a choice that he or she is making. But it's not the best. That it's better to have Jesus in your heart and continue to have that relationship. Uh, but don't give up. Keep trying. Keep trying. Um, because that, you know, it, it is what God wants. And so you need to keep working at it. That's the best I can tell you. And, and praying about it. Because God will move mountains if we if we can continually pray. And that, as we said earlier, that's very important. All right, folks. Um, so we move into another aspect that is very important to keep in relationships. And that is forgiveness. Um, this is probably one of those things that can break a family apart in seconds, you know, and then cre- create a damage that will last forever because one person is not willing to forgive, forget, and move forward. Um, the Bible talks about this is the letting go, is the finding healing, is the releasing of negative energy. And because I've experienced it myself, I know that this aspect of finding the healing and releasing of negative energy is what is so important for you and for your family to experience. And so when you're seeing your children fighting and being mad at each other, make sure that you are the first one to come and advocate between them and help them understand that they need to get alone, that they need to practice forgiveness, because it's so important in the family dynamics. To be forgiven um, is a few ideas here. Number one, apologize to the person you wrong, even if he was unintentional. Very often we come to apologize with a defense of why we did what we did. well, you know, I did that, but let me tell you why I did it. You know, we want to we wanna look good and we want to come up on top. But when we're doing this, we're actually coming up below and we're not winning, even if you think that you're winning. Because what you're doing is you're not sharing your heart. You're not opening your heart to the other individual. And it doesn't work that way. Uh, I have had so many times I do... Part of my job is conflict resolution in Chesapeake when it comes to pastors and, and their congregations. And, and one of the things I advise people is that when you come to seek forgiveness, don't come with a list of excuses or reasons or anything. Come ready to listen. Come ready to say, I am sorry. Because I'm going to tell you something. Perception can also be as, as bad as the action itself. So even if you didn't do it, But the person perceived that you were doing it, it's almost as if you did it. And you can argue until you're blue in the face that you never did that. And the person is going to continue to feel, hey, I I have the feeling you did it. So instead of arguing about that, just put your your humble on and say, you know what? I am sorry. I am sorry. I'm sorry. Don't start arguing. Don't start excusing yourself. But just uh, come with a humble heart because that then opens the door to other things. Ask for forgiveness for, from yourself, your partner, your children, and others. You remember how I explained earlier this week how it's important to even your children say, hey, sorry, I made a mistake. Uh, if you have never done that with your kids, first time you do it, they're going to think you're kidding. Their eyes are going to open really big. What? Dad is saying that? But it is it is an opening. It builds bridges in, in communication. Explain why you did the infraction without making excuses, you know, and then try to make things right. Now, this is as, as it says right here, to be forgiven. If you know that you've done something wrong, seek to be forgiven. Seek to build bridges and to connect with those that you love because it's so important. So then the question, the next question is how to forgive. And it says here, move on and don't bring past offenses. This is for the person that is actually given that forgiveness. Move on and don't bring past offenses. I think one of the challenges some people have Is a memory issue. They remember everything that happened in the last 20 years. And they'll bring it up every time there's a fight. (laughs) 20 years ago, you told me you'll never do it again. And then you do it five years later. Remember, the kids were out on vacation and we were together and you did it again. And then three months later, remember, we were with your mom. And down the entire history, every time it happens. How many times have you done that? If you are the offensive one that does this kind of thing. How many times did you do that, and it worked? Doesn't work, right? It never works. So, have a, a, a desire to forgive and forget and move on. The only the only time I say there is a warning light here that I want to uh, give you a heads up on this one is when we're talking about abuse. All right, because abusive individuals will continue to abuse you if you give him an opportunity. And that's where you need to build a wall of defense with that relationship. But it doesn't mean that you don't forgive him. It doesn't mean that you don't leave leave things in the past. You can do that, but you have to be cautious, especially when it comes to physical, sexual abuse and emotional abuse because you should not allow anyone to continue to abuse you, okay? And I know that takes a lot, and you need help. Very often you need help for that. Seek help. If you're being abused in any way, seek help, because it is not right. But it doesn't mean that you cannot forgive the individual. It just means that when it comes to those things, you have to be careful. Did you want to say something? Um, a saying that we learned is forgiveness does
2: not necessarily mean restored trust. You can forgive the person, but if their behavior over time has shown you you cannot trust them in that area, possibly, or maybe
1: not trust them at all because of their behavior, you can forgive, but it doesn't mean you can trust them. Appreciate that. Um, the next point says, make a covenant with the family to never go to bed with anger in your heart. Unless the fight happens at midnight, <laughs> then what do you do, Right. You stay up all night. You know, you have to be, you know, intelligent about this thing. Sometimes you have to wait a little bit. Or maybe at 11 or midnight, you're still very hot about it, you know, and you're going to try to talk about it. Well, you know, but try your best to make a covenant not to allow that to happen. And my friends, conversations. That has been my theme through all the week. Conversations. Talk about things. Talk about things. That makes a difference. Uh, Write a note of forgiveness to the person who wronged you even if you don't give it to that person it will help you as you're writing that note it will help you deal with the issues uh, tell yourself a victor story and read it aloud that is to motivate you to move forward with this act of forgiveness and I before I go forward you know that it's so interesting when you leave when you read the uh, uh, the uh, Lord's Prayer or oh, when you repeat it, uh, you know, the, the Lord's Prayer of heaven or our Father, which are in heaven. And so it goes through the entire thing. But then he says, um, um, I'm drawing a blank. Man, this is a terrible senior moment. Huh? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? That's there, right? You know that? Very important. It's part of the Lord's Prayer, right? Awesome. Do you know what happens right as soon as he's done teaching us the Lord's Prayer? He goes back to that issue. And he says, if you are not forgiving others, their trespasses, you're not communicating with God. So I want to propose to you that if you have a problem with someone, you have anger, you have some kind of hate that has built up, you have not forgiven someone, do it for yourself. Okay? Do you hear me? Do it for yourself. Because otherwise you are going to be uh, cutting off that relationship with God every day more and more and more because that's what Jesus Christ told us. As we don't forgive others, God is not going to forgive us because as he explained it to us, is so important. So I, did, I didn't want to forget that one. All right. So moving on, we go to the next one. I want to emphasize again that the idea here is that we're modeling and teaching our family about this. Uh, about forgiveness so you have to live it out you have to do it family worship you have to lead them so they become part of their lives and so why will gratitude be important can you think of reasons why it's important to uh, to teach our children to be uh, gracious and to have gratitude in their hearts why should we do that does it make a difference when you are graceful and you have your heart full of gratitude towards others yes it is and, and there's probably nothing worse than, than a kid that never recognizes what anybody else does for them, right?
0: It ingrains in, within them a feeling of, of uh, remembering how uh, gratitude uh, picked them up, you might say. Awesome.
1: And it's also the idea that our children, and, and actually no one just deserves things just because they're there. You know, it's the idea that other people are doing things for you. You need to be grateful about it. But anyway, so it says it's the quality of being thankful and the affirmation that there is goodness in the world. And that there's a sort of this goodness is a result of who we were created to be. We are grateful to God because he made us. And so we're grateful. And so we live it out and we teach it to our kids and help them to recognize what other people do and be grateful about it is that that those parents that insist on telling their kids, hey, say thank you, say thank you, say excuse me, say please, because those things are important in life. Recognizing that not everything, we don't deserve things, that they come to us, and so we're grateful about that. And especially grateful with God, you know? So what are the ideas here? Ways to be grateful. Number one, you write in a gratitude journal every day. If you like to write journals, I know that's not for everybody. I used to hate them. And actually, I started to, when I was at the seminary in Andrews, uh, in one of his sermons, Dwight Nelson talked about the reasons to have a journal. And he said, and one of, as he was preaching on this, he said, that a journal is an opportunity for God to speak to you. It really caught me by surprise. I had never thought about it that way. I said, well, how does that work? And he explained it, by the way. He says, you know, as you're writing, God will put ideas in your mind and then you will write them down. And so I started to practice it. And it is so cool. You're writing something out, a prayer request, a situation, just, just telling God about things. And suddenly ideas start coming to mind because you slow down your thinking process when you're writing. Do you know that, right? Because you have to think about what you're writing, so you don't write as fast as you think, so you kind of slow down. And as you're thinking about what you're writing, God takes advantage of that to tell us things that he wanted to share with us. I have had times when I am writing my journal and I'm just in tears just because of what I feel God is telling me. Well, what what about doing this? What I've done in in my prayer journal, I have three sections and actually, I added one more recently, but I have three sections. And one is the first section is just prayer. When I'm praying and I'm writing down my prayer, and so you know, I'm thinking, I'm praying and talking as as I'm writing with God. And then I have another section of a special prayer requests that I continuously bring before the Lord. I have the names of all my pastors there because I pray for them uh, almost every day, and uh, and then the special circumstances I have. I have a section called PINOP, P-I-N-O-P, and that is pastor in need of prayer. Because I work with my pastors, they have special circumstances, so something's going on. In particular, I'm going to put them in that list. Then I have family, then I have this, I have that, and I have a Thanksgiving page. And every time something great happens, which is very often, then I just go write it down. It's the act of taking time to think about those things that makes a difference. That's why I think it's a great idea. Of of course, unless you hate writing, and so in that case, you know, don't do it. But it helps you be grateful. Fill your mind with things that you're grateful for. This is a great exercise. I will encourage you, if you haven't practiced this, start practicing on Saturdays, on Sabbaths. You know, on your way to church, on your way back to church in the afternoon, maybe have a meeting with your family, get them together and say, all right, kids, what are we thankful for this week? Let's, let's write it down. Let's put, it on the, you know, put a poster on the wall and write it on the wall and, you know, different things like that. Uh, the next one says, focus on the positive. When you're thinking and you're trying to fill your life with gratefulness, you're going to be more positive about life. You know why? Because you're thinking of the good things. Not the bad things. It's a change in mentality and behavior. And so do focus changes your outlook. Uh, keep a gratefulness jar. This is a great idea, especially if you have kids, to fill a jar with uh, marbles or whatever, you know, whatever you want to fill it up with. And every time one of them is grateful, you have, you have a container with the marbles and they just go grab one. Put it in, and as they're putting it, in, they say, I'm grateful about this. Boom, there you go. Fill the jar. Awesome. Let's get another one. And then you have 10 of them, and, and it, reminds it, it reminds your family why, uh, what, what God is doing in their lives. And then practice a gratitude-centering prayer where every time you start praying, you start praising God for his things before you say anything. I've been practicing that in the last few years, and it changes your prayer tremendously number one you know how many of you feel that you pray too short Uh, yeah i think most of us feel that way there was one time i was this is a few years back i was reading about pastors uh, in the united states it was a study done with pastors in the united states and he said that the average pastor prays 10 minutes and i'm thinking wow i'm a pastor let me see how much i'm praying and so I, i i timed it and i was under five minutes I'm like, boy, I'm in trouble. I'm not even like the average pastor. I'm doing worse than the average pastor. So what can you do? And so so you start, you start because when and especially, especially guys, I know some women are like that too, but guys, we're so focused on things, right? So you get your knees and you say, Lord, A B C D, thank you, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. And off you're running, right? So let's be more conversational with the Lord. So you start your prayer. By saying, "Lord, I'm grateful about, and I praise you for," and you spend some time thinking about that. I'm thankful for my wife, and thank you for my for my husband. And thank you for my dog. I thank you for for the cat, and I thank you that yesterday we almost had an accident and didn't happen. and And you start to review things and find reasons for which you are thankful and for which you want to praise God. Yes. Awesome. Great, great thought. Thanks for sharing that. All right. So so then you practice having this. uh, You add it to your prayer life, and your prayer time is going to extend. Um, I remember years back in um, Arden, we brought um, uh, Pastor Virgil. Virgil, um... I'm sorry? Yes, yes. And he did a uh, prayer... Seminar in the afternoon, and I remember learning uh, from him about how to pray longer time, and one of the things he said was, sing a song uh, of praise to God, a hymn, as you are praying, and I incorporated that, and then you read through scripture, there are so many psalms that are prayers. So you just are reading that psalm and you are praying as you're reading it. You make it your own. So instead of saying, you know, instead of using another name, you pray as if it is yours. Anyway, those things make your prayer time more meaningful. How to show gratitude. And here's where it comes to the practical part. And this is what you do with your kids or your family members or the people that you want to learn. Learn to be grateful. What do you do? Number one, develop a grateful challenge and make and mark the times family members express gratefulness. You know, have a little chart in the uh, kitchen by on the refrigerator. And you say every time you're grateful, guys, go ahead and mark it there and and see, you know, make a little game out of that. Say thank you with random acts of kindness. You know, encourage your your children or your members of your family, even the grown-ups. You know, (laughs) even dad or mom who never say thank you. You know, make sure that you're including them in that process. Uh, Design a family gratefulness tree and add to it each month. Uh, Show gratefulness by smiling, hugging, and giving of your talents, gifts, and abilities. Um, That helps people understand that you're grateful and show that you're grateful, and it's contagious. You come to someone with a smile, and even if they're having a rough day, you may change them a little bit. So those are good ideas for showing gratitude and practicing this in your home. All right, connection. This is an important one because a lot of families grow up being disconnected, and it is because of the lack of intentionality with being connected. It is the process of becoming joined in relationship to one another by being seen hurt and value so be intentional about connecting with your family it is so easy to drift apart but the life is so busy you have so many things to do and you can actually be driving your kids back and forth you may be a sucker mom or a sucker dad just driving your kids all over the place and not talk a minute in the whole process you have your radio really full, you have your, your all these other things going on, and, and before you know it, the, the trip went, and you never said a word. So you need to be, and especially today, with all these gadgets that we have, you see, uh, you see entire families in the car, and everybody is, sometimes even the driver, texting, you know? Lord that gets furious. That guy's texting! <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> young kids are doing that today. They're sitting next to each other, sending texts and, and uh, memes and things to each other. Yeah, so no. Um, it's all about relationships. And connection is, being, uh, is about being intentional about relationships. So ways that you can connect. Spend time, quiet time with your creator. Turn off technology. My friends, make it happen in your house. Did you know, you probably heard this a uh, hundred times already, but I'll say it one more time. Did you know that all these big shots in the media systems, uh, owners of Microsoft and all these big companies, do not let their kids have uh, smartphones? It's been it's been documented. I mean, there are, it's referenced in many places. Why? Because they know the bad things it does to their kids, so they don't let them have it. So why would you do it with your kids? You know, why would you allow that? By the way, there are phones that are not that smart. <laughs> And yet, can keep your kids connected. Get one of those, and then they'll be you. Emergency, then you they can connect with someone. But they're not distracted with all that I was going on. Uh, did I see a hand or? Uh, <laughs> Imagine that. But you know what? Did you say something? One of the biggest problems we have. Doing this is that everybody else is doing it. And your, kid's, you know, your kid is 10 years old and comes and says, Mom, everybody has a smartphone, and I'm, I'm the only one that doesn't have one. And instead of crying with her and feeling, you know, so just, just tell her, Congratulations, I'm happy for you. Be proud of that. Tell everybody, I don't have one, and I don't need one. <laughs> Connect before you correct others. Oh, I love this one. Connect before you correct you know, make sure that you understand what's going on. Communication again. Spend time getting to know yourself, your partner, your children, your others. And, and this is so important because, you know, one of the things that I see so often with parents is that when the kids get to a certain age, they don't know their kids. They don't. In fact, it's a mystery in their lives what's got happening in that kid's brains. And, and why is that? It's because they're not talking. They're not connecting. They're, there's no, no connection going on between them. How to show connectivity. Pray together. Have dinner time together. Like I said earlier, have times when you disconnect from media. Have game nights. Oh, my goodness. Game nights are awesome. Have it in your family. Do it. Find games that the kids that everybody enjoys and, and, and then do it. And, and, and then some families have um, movie, movie nights. I'm not going to say all movies are bad because you're probably are getting good movies and that's, that's the best part of it. You know, you have something. But don't just watch the movie. Either at times, uh, specific times, you, you pause it and say, all right, so what do you think about what just happened? So because, you know, you can just sit and watch. There's no connection between all those participants except for sharing the popcorn or whatever else they're, they're sharing the food. Other than that, there's no connection. And then at the end, everybody started, go to bed, no, there was no conversation. So if you're going to watch a movie... Use it to connect, all right? and I'm not saying don't watch movies. Watch good movies that will help you have good conversations with your children. Um, Speak kind words. Create family rituals. Family rituals are so important. These family rituals will connect you with each other, but also will connect you with the church family and other parts um, of the folks. Self-worth. Uh, Self-worth is is one that is very debatable today because the idea is that you want your kids to have all this self-worth and and self-appreciation, self-value. But what we're doing is we're creating uh, humans that don't care for anybody else. They step over everybody else and they become bullies and so many other things. Self-worth has to be Christ-centered, right? That they find their value in Jesus and true worship. True scripture reading, true prayer, you're showing your kids that they're valuable for the Lord, but that they're not better than anybody else. How do you do this? Let me go to the next section. So it says, to ways to be self-worthy. Look at this. It says, know who you are and whose you are. Whose are you? Whose? Who do you belong to? God, Jesus, right? Help your kids understand that, that they belong to Jesus. And that is so important. Um, Recite affirmations such as, I'm brave, I'm courageous, there's greatness in me. And also verses that remind us that God, uh, that our value is in Jesus. Like, for instance, Philippians 4.13. What does it say? I can do all things through Christ, don't stop and I can do all things. These statements by themselves will put their, their, their value in themselves, right? We put our value in Jesus. So I can do all things in Christ, right? In Christ who gives me strength. So it's not me. It's Christ working in me. Reward yourself. Love much. Stay away from negative people, places, and things. And keep a journal of all the good things you notice about yourself and read it. This is for you to understand that you're valuable. And pair that with texts that remind you that God loves you. I am wonderfully made. Who said that? David said that, right? Thinking about what God had created. We we're not accident. We're not accident. We are not an accident. God created us with intention, with a purpose. Be reminded of that. How to show self worth. And this is where the focus changes, okay? So, self worth from a humanistic perspective, from a selfish perspective, is boy, I'm so much better than you, right? That's the idea. I'm so much better than you. I can run faster than you. I can do this better than you. It's about you exalting yourself over others. But notice this one it says, be happy for the accomplishments of others. So, your kid is playing in a league and their league lose. Tell your kid, hey, next time you probably won't. You know, we're going to practice and everything. But go tell those kids that they play a good game. You know, help them understand that it's important to know and show appreciation for what others are doing. Take care of your mind, your body, and your spirit. Teach them to do things right. Expect the best from yourself. Help them to teach. Help them to learn that and put it to practice. Let Never let anyone determine your self-worth, especially as Christians who are trying to live Christianity in their lives to be like Jesus, they're going to have to learn to uh, not be concerned with what others are thinking. And you can help your child do that by having conversations with them as they're going through difficulties. Um, And then take the three C's challenge. What is the three C's challenge? Complain is first C. Don't complain, all right? (laughs) Compare. Don't compare. Criticize. Don't criticize yourself or others. That is so important. Don't complain. Fight harder. Work harder. Try try better. Help your kids to try to excel. And this one about comparison is one of the ones that is, is destroying our kids today. Uh, Instagram has come in the news for that. Girls are just comparing themselves to each other. If that's going on, eliminate anything that is helping your kids focus on others and help them to think of themselves and so and criticism criticism of others. I love this book. If you haven't read it, it's a kid's book, by the way. But if you haven't read it, buy it and read it. Read it for yourself. And then read it for your kids. Use it during worship. It's your special. Uh, the name of the book is Your Special. And it's by Maxwell Cato. And in, in a couple of words, it's a book about self-worth in the sense that we find our value in Jesus. Is about one um, particular um, um, doll that was created by, by, by Eli. Eli is the carpenter. Eli is the name uh, they use to represent God. And so Eli is the carpenter. He makes them. They're perfect. But then the little, um, the little um, dolls are comparing each other, putting his on each other. And then they're proud of all the stars they have. But there's one that doesn't care about that. And when someone puts a star on this, on this uh, little doll, it falls off. And what was the reason? It was that she was daily talking to Eli, the carpenter. So her worth was in her relationship with Jesus. Powerful book. Buy it. Share it with your kids. Read it yourself. It will help us uh, do better. Um, you know, it's 28. I don't want to rush through a couple of things. So instead of rushing, let me just go through one of them that I feel is so important. Um, Okay. Oh, I love this one. It's a raccoon mom teaching her raccoon baby. Uh, See, when you're in a rush, it's when things don't work out. Have you seen that one? It's really cool. That mom struggles so much to teach the little, little raccoon how to climb up the tree. She works so hard, but she finally does it. That's us. We have to work hard in teaching our kids, right? Well, oh, sorry. (laughs) She's working so hard. She's climbing herself, showing him how to do it. You know, she grabs him, and little guy's just fighting it off. So that's us, okay? Those are parents. That's a good parent trying to teach his child. All right. <laughs> okay, I, I know it's very cute, but I need to move on. <laughs> By the way, did you know that did you know that uh when eagles are ready to kick their babies out, they're ready for flying. You know, eagles are really high. Uh they make they build their nest really high. And when they kick him out, they're actually, the parents are supervising. And when the the eaglet is not flying well, and it looks like it's going to plumb down and crash, the father or mother just swing and swoop underneath and pick them up. And lift them up so they can try it again and they can fly. Don't just kick your your kids out because they're 18. (laughs) Make sure they know how to fly, right? Okay. Um, All right. So... Yeah, uh, supervised media, my friends, there is an intentional agenda. If you ever doubt it, just look at the statements that came out from uh, Disney uh, out of Florida recently, where one of their CEOs said, we are intentionally driving an agenda with our movies and programs and activities. My mouth dropped because they they had never acknowledged it publicly. And this person said, yes, and it's one of their CEOs. So there is, a, there is an agenda. It came out really clear when this movie came out, The Golden Compass. It was a movie dedicated, or the purpose was to, to make sure that people understand that there is no God. And that was the whole purpose of that movie. It is in Snoops. You can check it out. It is The Golden Compass. And the author clearly said that that was the idea. It was about killing God. Uh, But I wanted to get to another point, filter their friends. It's very important that you help your kids make good relationships and you supervise what they're doing. Uh, Someone has said to me, you know, why is it that our kids are living uh, when you have tried everything possible? And sometimes what we have not done carefully is uh, look at what their friends are doing and talk to them about what is going on with their friends and relationships. I love this story. This is a story of a Korean pastor who was working in Chicago, Illinois, and his oldest son got involved with gangs. Um, he was devastated. He didn't know what to do. This is dad. Dad didn't know what to do. One day, the son is coming back from school and gets home, and this entire family was inside a moving truck. He didn't say a word to him. He put him. he he loaded, this dad didn't tell anything. He shows up, the whole family's moving. He says, I'm not moving, and if you force me, I'm going to kill myself. He said, you're getting in that van, we're leaving, and they load him and they left. Dad left his career as a pastor. He left everything he had going on in this city, moved his city to um, Chattanooga, to Collegedale. Found himself a job as a painter, I think it was. And just economically struggled and did everything possible. But it was all to save his family. I The story was told to me by his son, the one that was the gang involved in the gang. And he said, to this day, I am grateful for my dad. That when it, when it was important, he pulled me out. He rescued me. And, and he said, and now I'm at the church. And we're excited about all that is going on. Dad was back in, uh, in ministry. He did all that to save his kids from bad influences. Sometimes we lose our kids because we're not paying attention to the friends they're having and the influence they're having in their lives. So so we have to be very intentional about all we do and love our kids unconditionally, always be there for there and continue to pray for them. I want to finish with this, and it's a true story. Uh, when I mention one of the main persons in the story, you'll know it's true, and you know that it happened the way he told me the story. He says he was canvassing in uh, New York City, going door to door, knocking, looking for Bible studies. I was uh, Ron Halverson, the the father. If you follow him, you probably heard the story. And as he was going from door to door, in one of those old apartments that are falling apart, where where you know people live with very low income. He finds that a little boy opens the door, um, seven, eight years old little boy. And he says, where's your mom? And so I'm going to tell it with very little details because of the time. So mom comes to the door and he says, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. I'm giving Bible studies. And then he says, he says, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. She says, oh, I want nothing to do with you. Now, like I said, if you know Roe Halverson, that's not a term for him. She went to close the door and he put his foot in. And said, Why are you saying that? <laughs> and so, short story, uh, the woman said, When my little boy, when I got pregnant with my little boy out of wedlock, my father said to me, I want nothing to do with you. I ended up here in this city and all I could do was prostitution. That's all I could do. And that's what I've been doing. I want nothing to do with you as your church. <laughs> she said, Who's your daddy? Her dad was a pastor in California. And he said, give me your number. Give me his number. I don't have his number. Well, I'll find his number. He goes back to his house, calls the pastor, and says, you know, starts with, hey, how you doing? I'm Pastor Halverson here in New York City. Guy has no clue where he's going. Yeah, yeah, I'm a pastor here in California. Oh, good, good. I'm calling you because you have a daughter here. He says that immediately the tone in this man's voice says, Change and says, I don't have a daughter. That's the other guy, right? I don't have a daughter. He says, look, you have a daughter. You're going to come back and you're going to get her <laughs> and sending you your tickets. And you're going to do that because that's your responsibility. It takes a wrong person to do that. <laughs> he sent them the tickets. The guy flew, picked up his daughter. He He was involved in reconciling them. So they... Eventually, she, he takes her back to home, and he tells the story how, I don't know, five years later, he is in California, and this young lady comes and says, hey, do you remember me? And he didn't because he met her as at her worst in life, right? And so he's like, no, who are you? He says, well, I'm so-and-so. Remember, you went to my apartment, and he, she, he reminds her of the story. and says, yes, well, bottom line is she was graduating. He had graduated from nursing school. She was a nurse. Uh, her her little boy was in Adventist school. I mean, her life was transformed completely because that father realized he was wrong and changed his way. Um, we may not have the kids we want to have, but w- they are our kids. And we need to love them forever with unconditional love, which means it doesn't matter what they do. We're going to love them. Doesn't matter, it doesn't mean that you approve what they're doing but it means that they're your kids. You're going to be for them. You're going to be there for them. You're going to be there when they call, when they need you, and you're going to be the best to show you, to show them the love of God because it will make a difference in their lives. They will come to you because they will see in you the God that they need so much. That's only when you have that very intimate relationship with God. There's so much I wish I I could share with you, but... um, I hope that what we have shared this week has been a blessing to you. And at this point, I'd like to pray with you all. Pastor, is it okay if I do the closing prayer? <laughs> Thank you, Lloyd, Would you come and join us? Join me, <laughs> and I'll, I'll ask you if you're with your family, hold hands together. If you are by yourself, then you know just close your fists like that because you're holding your family, and we're gonna pray for for all that you represent here. All right, let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for every family that is represented here. We have uh, single parents, Lord, for whom we're praying and asking that you will be the other spouse in this relationship, to give them strength, to give them courage, to help them deal with life. We have grandparents that are are dealing with their grandchildren as, as if they were their own I pray for wisdom, for energy, Lord, so they can lead them to Jesus and, and be there for them in every important step of their lives i 'm praying for nuclear homes where mom and dad and the kids and also for blended families and all other types of families we may have here represented and what i 'm praying for, Lord, is that these families will connect that they will love each other, that they will surrender their lives before you, that they will seek to understand and to be understood, to communicate. And that in all things we do, Lord, we'll continue to seek you and have you as Lord in our lives. If anything, Lord, that our own personal relationships with you will improve and that that will be contagious and other members in our family will want the same. I thank you, Lord. I pray for your blessing on each one of them. And I pray for all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Go out to be a blessing, to be blessed and to bless your family. Thank you.